Hello, I'm Roger Baker, Executive Director of the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN. This podcast is brought to you by RAIN Worldview, the premier digital publication for objective geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Find out how RAIN can help you stay ahead of global events at rainnetwork.com. Welcome to Rain's Essential Geopolitics Podcast. I'm Ryan Bull, in for Emily Donahue this week. Here with me today is Matt Orr, our Eurasia analyst, and he's got plenty to talk about. Thanks for joining me, Matt. Hey, Ryan. It's a pleasure to be here. So obviously, one of the big movers and shakers over the weekend was a major Ukrainian offensive in the Kharkiv uh, Oblast, and the Russians seem to have suffered a significant defeat. So let's talk through this latest offensive. Why was it successful? How is it related to the talk of the other offensive that up until now we were keeping our eye on in Kherson in the south? Yeah, I'll, I'll start with the latter part of that question. The Ukrainians had obviously widely telegraphed their intention to conduct a, a, an offensive and the South, uh, well before anything started developing in Kharkiv. And, and those original movements towards uh, an offensive in the South actually prompted Russia to reposition uh, a lot of its forces, including a lot of its best forces that are still well-equipped, well to the South, near the city of Kherson. And a lot of those forces actually came directly from Izum, which was essentially the, the, the Izum area, um, which had been a, a major point uh, earlier in the war, uh, back in May and June, basically an area that, that Russia wanted to seize to threaten the Donbass region from the north with some kind of uh, major encirclement. And, and Russia actually pulled troops out of that region to go to Kherson. And I think that that gave the Ukrainians an opportunity that they saw. And so they, they probably knew they also wanted to do uh, another offensive on another part of the front. But I think that that helped made the choice of where to strike fairly clear. And basically, yeah, the Ukrainians broke through uh, the, the Russian lines just south of the city of Kharkiv uh, and quickly moved to the Oskil River. And from there, they were able to threaten the Russian forces around Izum uh, with encirclement. And essentially, that, that maneuver uh, and then a simultaneous thrust northward towards the city of Kupiansk basically made the Russian positions in the entire area near Kharkiv uh, undefensible. And that prompted the Russians to, to withdraw, although they did uh, lose quite a bit of equipment that they had been accumulating in those areas for, for quite some time. Uh, and this will significantly uh, complicate their, their logistics and their ability to uh, th threaten the Donbass. So it appears that the, the, the offensive that we're seeing in Kharkiv uh, is not over, uh, and it's in, highly interrelated with, with what we're seeing in Kherson. And overall, it severely reduced the threat to the Ukrainian forces in the Donbass, uh, makes their, their front lines there much shorter, makes it much easier for Ukraine to actually potentially project back into the Luhansk region of Ukraine, which is, was the only region of Ukraine that Russian forces had actually managed to capture uh, in, in its entirety. So all of that combines to make this a, a pretty significant uh, victory for Ukrainian forces. So we can assume that the, the Russians are going to take this lying down. So uh, how have the Russians responded to this offensive so far? Yeah, the, the Russian response to, to this offensive may even be more significant than the offensive uh, uh, itself. Uh, it, it's prompted a, a lot of changes w within Russia. Uh, there's been a stark kind of change uh, within the narrative in Russia, both on official media and on unofficial 
uh, sources, social media, telegram channels, things like that, uh, uh, where the, the tone of the conversation has become much more uh, uh, pessimistic and a little bit panicked uh, about the, the, the overall trajectory of the war. Basically, there, there are widespread calls uh, to, to escalate the war in some way because the, the perception is growing that the special military operation, as it's called in Russia, is not going uh, according to plan. Uh, and naturally, that, that's leading a lot of people to question, well, if, if we're not on a trajectory to win, then we need, we need to do what it takes uh, to win. Uh, and and that and that's going to be a really notable change with, within within Russia. Obviously, the Kremlin has avoided uh, mobilization measures uh, for a long time for pretty obvious political reasons. Uh, it's a very politically risky thing to do. Uh, it would touch a lot of Russians who have not been touched by the war yet. If there's this idea that their uh, husbands and sons might be called up for some sort of mandatory military service, so it's not something that they, they want to do. But uh, now it appears that there's a lot of desire to discuss this more openly within Russia. Russia, And now the, the Kremlin is having to respond more actively to, to these calls for, for mobilization. Uh, the, the other way that the Russians are responding is, 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 is by increasingly uh, looking for ways to escalate without, again, actually conducting more mobilization. Uh, and so in recent days, we've seen uh, a significant uptick in Russian strikes on Ukrainian civilian infrastructure, first on power stations, and now more recently on, on dams and waterworks to, to deprive drinking water and, and flood certain areas of Ukraine. Uh, basically, that would contribute to uh, war fatigue in Ukraine is the idea, or to show the Ukrainians that right, it being successful on the battlefield will, will come with uh, significant cost increases for Ukraine. Um, so all of that combines to, to create a picture that suggests that uh, Russia, R- Russian authorities are becoming increasingly concerned about the trajectory of the war. Uh, and if we th- speak even more long term, uh, this, this, this party of war, this, this party that really expected a much bigger uh, victory in Ukraine um, and to take significant uh, Ukrainian territories with relative ease or to at least have something that was very clearly a victory that large, fairly large uh, electorate of what used to be Putin's base uh, is now increasingly disgruntled. And while that doesn't necessarily pose any threats to him or or his regime in the near term, if we start thinking longer and if the Ukrainians are able to string together a a continued series of victories, then this does bring up all kinds of questions about the future of Putin uh, and and what does Russia look like after him. So then how does this Russian defeat affect the West and Ukraine's strategy in the coming months? We were seeing some signs of some fatigue in the West of, of supporting Ukraine, or at the very least of supporting sanctions. Uh, does that change this trajectory? Well, I think this solidifies a, a trajectory that's favorable to Ukraine before a lot of that war fatigue that you mentioned actually really kicks in a lot more. I think that what we're, what we're seeing now in terms of war fatigue is still relatively minor. Um, again, it's if we talk about you know Europe, it's mostly uh, fringe political parties and the size of a lot of these these uh, protests against government support for Ukraine and things like that are, are relatively small by comparative uh, standards. But now you, this Ukrainian offensive has actually energized a, a lot of the European public and a lot of the the, the ruling political powers uh, in European states and institutions to show them that their military and financial support for Ukraine actually does have a concrete effect uh, in turning the tide of war in Ukraine's favor. 
And that is very dangerous to Russia because it undermines Russia's primary uh, message to uh, European politicians and the European public, which is the exact opposite, which is that your, your weapons won't actually ever have an effect on the battlefield. And of course, that, that idea has been fairly thoroughly discredited. So I think that more than anything, I think this will prompt a continuation and possibly even more uh, Western support for Ukraine well before the actual peak of any uh, political repercussions or, or backlash for doing so. So I, I think it's potentially an, a very favorable development for Ukraine in that respect. Well, it's obviously a topic at the top of a lot of people's minds, and I'm glad that you're tracking it uh, for us, Matt. Sure thing. Understanding geopolitics is critical to future planning, whether you run a multinational conglomerate or you're planning a trip to a place you've never been. Rain offers businesses a complete geopolitical intelligence solution with worldview for enterprises. Our app delivers forward-looking, enterprise-level analysis and tools that enhance your ability to understand what happens next. Learn more about Rain's geopolitical intelligence solution at rainnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E network.com. I'm Ryan Bull. Thanks for listening. <laughs>